I love John chapter 16. It is one of the most powerful chapters in all of God's Word because it has a lot of nuts and bolts in it. What I mean by that is that as we look at it and we understand that Jesus' instruction for these guys is, yes, it's very important, it's critical because he's hours now from the cross, but that it is there for our instruction. It is there for us to be built up. It's there for us to understand how it is that we can actually have a relationship with Christ. Not only that, but how do we grow in our relationship with Christ? And this chapter is packed with things about growth. We're going to we're going to dig deep, not so deep. I mean, we could spend months. I actually did one time. I taught a five-month series on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we're not going to do that. We're going to, that's that'd be like a massive rabbit trail. But the point is, is that we're, we're going to look at, we're going to slow down a bit this morning. Uh, I hope we get to verse one. Uh, <laughs> I know it might be the first time I actually went backwards, <laughs> but... Uh, we're going to slow down a bit this morning, and we're going to look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As we start to pick up the momentum here, I, I always like to recap a little bit and look back at John chapter 15 and a brief synopsis of that chapter. We saw that Jesus began with a metaphor. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, my father's the vine dresser. And we looked at that at length, and we're not going to go through it again, but that metaphor was very, very important to understand that our lives are intertwined with the vine as branches. And People are either fruitful branches or they're not fruitful branches. We looked at that. But essentially, we went on from there and we talked about what it is to be abiding in him. And we saw then that we were chosen by him and that we would be hated for him. So abiding in him, chosen by him, and hated for him is really how the chapter sums up. And what we looked at last week was hard-hitting things. If you are standing up for Christ... People are not going to always pat you on the head and tell you what a wonderful person you are. Quite the opposite. And yet, we don't suffer the kind of persecutions that many people around the world do. Uh, I may have mentioned before a Pakistani friend, when my daughter spent a year in the hospital back in 2000, 2001, I put out a prayer request for her every day. And I would give uh, a brief description of what was going on with her. She had a very complicated case medically and I mean, a chart about eight inches thick. And, and uh, I, I wanted people to pray. And so I would just give them what's going on and some scriptures if the Lord gave me all that. And these prayer requests went around the world. And, um, I, and I started getting emails from a guy in Pakistan saying, we're praying for Jessica. Uh, and, and I started to correspond with this guy. I got one email from a woman in Russia that said that her little child had written down prayers for Jessica on a helium balloon and sailed it up to God. Uh, and I mean, I wept when I got that one, um, uh, just the, the prayers of a child. So anyway, this guy from Pakistan started writing me. And then uh, long after my daughter got out of the hospital, I, I got an email from him. And it, was, it, it wasn't, hello, John, like it usually was. It was somehow we have been found out. The, the authorities have been notified. I just got notice they're coming. I don't know if I'll be able to write you again. Never heard from him again. That's persecution. We don't get that here, but you know, our hearts are towards those that are persecuted. I, I know my wife has a, a great heart for the persecuted church in other parts of the, the world, and I know many of us do, and, and that's part of the mission outreach that we have as a church is supporting the persecuted church because this stuff's real. So we looked at all of that, and through this whole uh, upper room discourse, one of the things that Jesus, and he doesn't waste words. One of the things that he's repeated over and over again is you must love one another as I have loved you. And now he's telling these guys how hard it's going to be going out into the world because he has sort of been the guy that's taken the heat. And he knows that with him leaving, that heat is going to shift to his men. And, and so He's, he's been telling them this. He's been going through all of that. And he's saying, why does he emphasize so much? Love one another. You have to have this in place. This is not optional. This is a command. 
Because how could they possibly go out there and face the things that they were about to face in a hostile environment if they weren't good with each other? And I'll tell you what, one of the enemy's primary targets for the church, and it makes me sick when I hear of a church that is torn apart by division. Oh, there was another split down the street at that church. Or, boy, these people got all offended and they got mad and they left and they took a big crowd with it. Or whatever it is. The enemy will use offense. I'll tell you what, in any family, things happen. And if he can get you offended about something, he's gotten a beachhead. He's gotten a foothold in your life. You need to be able to let it go. And if you can't let it go in love, go and privately talk with that person who has offended you and get it right. We can't afford to be divided with each other because when, we, when that happens, the reason why Jesus has been so hammered down with this deal is that if that's not in place, if we're not loving each other, if we're not going forward together as a family, as, as a team, as people of God, then the enemy wins a victory because he can actually extinguish our light through it. He can tear down the work of God through it. He can stumble people through it. He can get people that they don't even want to go to church anymore. How many people do you know that have been injured? I don't even want to go anymore. Brothers and sisters, let that never be named among us. Ever. This is free. This isn't in my notes, but I think it's a relevant message for the church today. We've got to have this down. We've got to. It's not, I, I had a friend that he's a worship leader. He's a real quirky guy. He always walked around with a toothbrush in his front pocket. And I never could figure that out. But it's like, whatever, you know. And, and I'd say, Ted, you have to love me. Ha, 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 ha. And I'd, you know, harass him about something or another. But it's true. We have to have that in place. So um, just as we move forward as a body, as we grow and we're growing, and as we get into this new facility, and, and I'm, I'm uh, thinking that there will probably be people that come that haven't come before and all that. We need to be in a posture of love, not just with each other, but when somebody new walks in that door, don't think it's up to everybody else to greet them, to welcome them, to love on them, to let them know that they're valued. I don't ever want to be the church where somebody leaves and says, nobody even said hi. Love one another as Christ loves us. That's the mandate. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to back up two verses into chapter 15 because, as we've talked about before, chapter headings are inserted by man, and this is not a, well, I guess it is because it's like uh, chapter 15 was full, so they needed to make another chapter. But uh, this is the same dialogue he's having here. So uh, it's, it's a continuation, it's a flow, and, and so I'm going to start with 1526, and then we're going to go on into 16 and go through verse 7. I highly doubt we're going to get there this morning, but we're going to try. Uh, He says, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And also you will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they've not known the Father nor me. But these things I've told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now that I go away to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So I always key on certain words, uh, either in, in speech or in writing. One of them is the word but, because it tends to, it, it, it forces you to look back at what's just been said. It, you know, if I walked up to my wife and said, honey, I love you, but... Um, <laughs> That would go about as good as get up here, woman. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But you know what I mean? And so, but Jesus starts, 
Here in, in chapter 20 or chapter 15, verse 26, he says, but when the helper comes, why does he say that? Because in verse 25, he has just concluded warning them about the persecution to come. He says, I'm hated without a cause. And, and they don't want me because they don't want my father, and therefore they're not going to want you. And so the word but here points us backwards to the context, and that's what it does is establishes context in the passage. And he's saying, but when the helper comes, the Holy Spirit will come because I've talked to you about all this stuff that's going to happen. He's going to be the one that you're going to be able to lean on. He's the helper. Uh, he says, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. So Jesus gives him two names here. It's the same word, but it's the paraclete, or parakletos is the, the Greek word, and it means one to come alongside of. And so what he's saying here is, I'm not going to leave you. Remember in this, earlier in this discourse, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, and, and I'm going to go, but I'm, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and he is the one that you're going to be able to lean on. He says here that he'll be the helper of the Spirit of truth, and that he proceeds from the Father, and he'll testify of me. Verse 27, and also, uh, you also will bear witness, because you've been with me from the beginning. The word testify and bear witness is the same word. It's marturio, and what it, it's where we get the word martyr from. And so he's saying that you will be in this partnership with the Holy Spirit. He will come, bear witness of me, and you'll bear witness of me. You both will have that attitude looking out and reaching out in the world. Uh, because the reason is Jesus was hated without a cause. And these guys, like I said, Jesus knew that the great danger for these guys going forward is that the heat, you, you guys, I mean, in this, just in the last year plus, <laughs> in our studies in the Gospel of John, how much hostility have we seen from the religious establishment, from the people in the world even, from the, against Jesus? He's taken a lot of heat, and he's going to take more before the night is out. And so he knows, again, he knows that because he's leaving, that heat is not going to go away. It's going to transfer to his men. And if his men aren't loving each other, if their hearts are not knit together in, in, with a bond of unity, that their faith could fail. So could yours. So could mine. It has to be this way. So he's saying, you know, you're going to be hated without a cause. They hate me. They hate you. And, and so... In that context, he brings, sort of shines this beautiful light and saying, you know what? You're not going to be alone in this. I'm going away, but I have to. He had to now go and atone for sin. And in atoning for sin, opening the door for you, for me, to be able to have bold access now to the throne of God, he would go and do the work of redemption for us. And as a result, he would open the door for us to now, as cleansed vessels, having come to him by faith, to approach God. To not only approach God, but to actually have God's very spirit come and take up residence within us. Couldn't happen any other way. He will not inhabit a, a, a dirty vessel, a sinful vessel. And so part of that transaction is that when he went to that cross, he not only declared us clean, he declared us sinless, and then he went on and he declared us holy, spotless. A, a, again, a cleansed vessel through which he could come and reside. Yeah, that's the, that's the transaction. That's what he was about to do. And that, he's trying to let these guys know, look, I'm going to not be with you physically anymore. But instead of that, I mean, the trade-off is really, really good. Because instead of having me impact you from the outside, even standing next to me, I know. And he goes on here, he says, sorrow's going to fill your hearts. But he knew that there would be a closeness that could be achieved through the indwelling of his spirit that couldn't be achieved even through close friendship, even through discipleship, that that was his design. It was his design all along. And now everything's in motion and it's about to come about. So he has important things to tell these guys. Uh, the paraclete, he's the one that soothes our hurts, stills the storms and supplies our needs. He's the one that comes alongside. He's the one that ministers to us. And that's one aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And 
uh, it's a beautiful thing that he does. I remember last week we closed with Revelation twenty two seventeen, 17. Uh, and again, this partnership that we have, the great co-mission. It's the mission that he has. It's the mission that we have. And through the mingling of the Holy Spirit with me, with how do I retain my personhood? How do I retain my personality, my distinctives? And, and yet become the dwelling place for God. That's a mystery. I, we don't know, but we know that he does. Uh, and the spirit and the bride say, come and let who hears come and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. freely. So we see the word come in the, the spirit's work. And it's the same there in Revelation twenty two seventeen, the last mention of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, like five verses from the end. And yeah, he shows up at the very beginning in, in Genesis, at the very beginning of Genesis, and the Spirit of God was over the face of the waters. Same Holy Spirit. We can't get too far in our theology without including him. And that the Spirit is the one who woos. He's the one who draws. He's the one who, who, who gives us that Yes, when something is going forward, when I'm reading my Bible or when I'm sitting in church and, and all of that, he is the one that bears witness. He's the one that gives us that, that richness in our life. There's a dimension that he brings that nothing else can touch. And so he woos and the bride is the one who gives the invitation. It's still that way. And the water of life that John refers to, the same guy that wrote these words in the Gospel of John, the, the water of life is the Gospel. It's the message of salvation. It's the fact that you are not without hope. You don't have to live a life of futility. You don't have to be in bondage to sin. You don't have to have this whole thing living on your own. You know, I, I'll date myself. I sometimes think how sickening that old Frank Sinatra song was, I did it my way. And it's like, what an epitaph. What, I mean, what a commentary on someone's life. I, I've, from time to time, am, am asked to officiate at funerals, memorial services. And while they can be some of the most joyous occasions because someone that loved the Lord has now graduated and they are free in glory in the very presence of Christ. When I'm asked to do a memorial service for someone that I know rejected, it's a difficult thing because I still want to bring comfort to the family, but the, the best I can do is bring a temporal comfort to them unless they convert. I stopped asking, by the way. For years, when I was asked to do a memorial service, I would ask if it was all right, if I shared the gospel. And I got tired of being told, no, I don't ask. <laughs> and if they get upset, it's like, okay, well, then why did you want a minister to do this? You know, they, I, I can't gut the message. And, and, and I do it with tact, of course. I mean, people are hurting and they're in different places, but the gospel goes forth because that's a time when we're mindful of our own mortality. I want to take some time and I want to get into the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We've only got, you know, a little over a half an hour. And as I said, we could spend months on this. We'll go as far as we can. I'm not going to try and get in too much of a hurry for time's sake. When we're out of time, we'll just say we're out of time and there will be part two. <laughs> Unless I miraculously get through all of this, which I highly doubt. Okay, thank you, Archie. I appreciate that. No, and seriously, I'm not going to. I, I, I just, this is too important. This is central stuff. This isn't, this isn't peripheral. Our understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is huge, Be, uh, primarily because there's so much to cover, but secondarily because there's so much abuse. I see people standing in that corner there and that corner there and up on that platform there saying, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. And it doesn't often match up with this. And so it is, this is for our instruction and for our edification to build us up. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about, and we're going to kind of go big picture and then we'll kind of get down into details, is the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I mean, many of us are seasoned Christians and we know this stuff, but you know, I agree with Paul. He says, to tell you the same things is not a problem for me and it's expedient for you. So don't just kind of click off, yeah, heard it. You know, don't do that. Uh, just ask the Lord to open your heart to be able to give you perhaps some fresh information or fresh insight about things you already know. Uh, but as the third person of the Trinity, he is the one who applies 
the work of God in our lives. If you looked at, you could look at it like this. The father wills it. The son accomplishes it and accomplished it. And the spirit applies it. The spirit is the one who gives us the ability to apply things to our life, whether it's God's word or through, you ever talking with somebody and the Holy Spirit just quickens you, you go, wow, that's good. I'm going to hang on to that. I've stolen a lot of stuff from other people over the years. But yeah, I'm a plagiarist. But the point is, is that, I mean, the Holy Spirit is there and, and he is the third person of the Trinity. He is fully God. He's not just a ghost. You know, I think about, remember the cartoon Scooby-Doo and there was the guy with the little scrawny beard and, and the big dog and every now and then there'd be a ghost and it's up there. And it's like, no, that's not kind of what I want to think of the Holy Spirit like. He's not the Holy Ghost in a weird kind of a sense. He is, yes, the Holy Spirit. And, and I don't care if somebody calls him Holy Ghost, but he is God. And he is a he, by the way. Uh, often when I talk to people, they'll say, well, it. And, and it just kind of, it's just one of those niggling little things that bugs me. And I won't ever bust anybody and I'm going to be kind, but, but it, he's not a it. He's a he. And that doesn't mean that he is not um, mindful of she's. <laughs> <laughs> If you think about it, God has all of the attributes. He has in, in his in, in in who he is. He understands the attributes of of maleness, but he also understands the attributes of femaleness. He's God. He embodies both. He identifies in the masculine in his word, and we're not going to change that. Don't expect to come in here and find a neutral gender Bible because it'd probably be your last time at this church, but. <laughs> We're, we're not going to change that. We're not going to depart from the script that God wrote. And that's a good thing because then we can be secure in that. So as the, the third person of the Trinity, he is fully God. It's, just, it's important to remember that. It's important to remember that he has a specific place, but he is a person. He has a personality. And his is, and we'll get into it next week when we look at the threefold work of the Holy Spirit, uh, and we'll look at what, he, what his primary purposes are. There are three primary purposes for the Holy Spirit's work, and we'll look at that in depth next week, but there's just no time. I had it, actually, I started out with that included for this week, and I got into my studies and went, not a chance. So we'll push that off till next week. The second thing I want to talk about is he is co-equal. He's fully God. He's a person and he can be grieved. Think about it. The Holy Spirit experiences grief. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. He is grieved. What grieves him? Primarily, sin. Because sin is the antithesis of holiness. Holy means separate from, above, exceedingly pure as relates to infinity. Try to figure that one out. And when I look at me outside of Christ and I compare myself to a holy God, guess what? I can come to the same conclusion as Moses when you know, God said, no, Moses, I'm not going to show you my face. I'll let you see my backside as I pass by because you would be, and I'm paraphrasing, you'd be toast. He's holy. And so what grieves him? Sin. What grieves him is when he is, and, and, and be honest, you know, I, I, I just want to keep it real in our church, in our, in our fellowship. That time when I'm tempted to maybe snap at my wife and the Holy Spirit says, John, stop. And I snap at my wife. Now I'm convicted, and we'll get into that, but that, that brings, it grieves the Holy Spirit because he, I'm going the opposite direction that he is intending for me to go, and he is faithful. He does speak to us. We'll talk about that. But he can be grieved. He can also be quenched because I shut down the work that he wants to do because I want my own way. And we do that, don't we? And I quench the spirit. It's, it's like I think about, you know, taking a candle and going, and just putting that flame out. Yeah, of course, as soon as my hand's off of it, he's there and the flame's burning. I don't want to go too far with that metaphor. But, but still, 
It can be quenched. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Spirit. Don't extinguish His flame because you don't want to listen to Him. Don't do that. He says, don't. You're quenching the Spirit of God who lives within you, who resides within you, who wants to direct the course of your life and you're not letting Him. Is what it amounts to. You can also be sinned against or blasphemed, and this is very serious. Hebrews 10.29 says, Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he who thought worthy will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and has insulted the Spirit of grace? You know, when the guys told Jesus, the religious leaders, they said, you know what? You're casting out demons by the power of Satan, Beelzebub. And Jesus said, that will not be forgiven you. Why? Because they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit. They were sinning against the Holy Spirit. And, and yes, there, I've known people that that has been a posture in their lives that have come full circle and come to Christ. I, and that does not count against them. But if you leave this life with that attitude of the heart, you're this person that the writer in Hebrews is discussing and talking about. If you are trampling underfoot the Son of God, that will not be forgiven you because you're insulting the Spirit of grace, the Holy Spirit, the one who's bringing the message of the gospel to you, who's bearing witness to your soul. And you turn your back, you walk away. I'm not going to get into keep your salvation, lose your salvation on this issue. I just encourage people never, ever end up living your life on a question mark. Why would you want to do that? The next thing is the importance of God's word and words in understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. Two Greek words, the written word, logos, or logos, some people say it. It's one of those words that I don't know how to say it, but yeah, I'll just act like an answer. Logos, yeah. Um, but the written word, the written word of God is extremely important. We hold the word of God way up there. Uh, I'm not going to go with an experience or somebody that, something that somebody says or, or any of that uh, and have it be in opposition to the word of God. I've literally had you know, a guy sit there and say, well, I prayed about it. God told me I could move in with my girlfriend. And I'm like, really? If it doesn't match up with this, it doesn't match up. And it's to be set aside. The other is the rhema, the, the, the spoken word of God. And, you know, sometimes, and I know that the world doesn't get this, and, and, and we can be ridiculed and so on, but does God speak? Does he speak? Absolutely he speaks. Absolutely. It's by his spirit, through his word. He will never be in contradiction to his word, but he speaks all the time. He wants to be personal. That's how we have a personal relationship with Christ is through the personal work of the Holy Spirit in us. And yes, he speaks. This has been so abused. Oh, I've got the rhema word, brother. And it's like, no, just stop it. But let him come in that still, small voice and inform my thinking. And, and, and Lord, it's a beautiful thing that through this personal relationship that you have with me, that you want to have fellowship, communion with me. We'll talk about that. And, and that you want to speak to me. You want to inform my thinking. As I read your word and, and, and I get excited, and I sense you speaking to me. Oh, Lord, yes. I'm praying and, and, and there's an impression in my heart. If he speaks with an audible voice, and, eh, you might want to think about that. But, but I mean, the, the impression that we have as people who are vessels of the Holy Spirit, he speaks to us. And there are churches that will run from that idea, but it's not some weird thing. If it becomes a weird thing, it's time to investigate. But it's the natural, supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit. His supernatural mixed with my natural. That's the grounds through which we have this relationship. And, and it's not a circus sideshow. It's not some weird hype that, you know, and, and it's not... Somebody who thinks that God's appointed, well, God told me to tell you, brother. And my response to that usually is, well, when he tells me, then I'll get on board. But, you know, it, it's not about that. He is fully able to speak to me. He's fully able to speak to you. 
The ministry of the Holy Spirit should be understood that, as I mentioned, there are abuses. In verse 14, and we'll look at it next week, Jesus says, he will glorify me. What does that mean? What it means is the ministry of the Holy Spirit will look, act, and, and give you an overall sense that it's like Jesus. The, the work of the Spirit is, is his job. One of the three main aspects of his job in our lives is to glorify Christ, to shine the light on Christ. He will glorify me. And when I look out and I see some auditorium full of people with their cell phones holding up, looking at glitter that somebody put into the air duct system, that's not glorifying him. That's a circus sideshow. It's, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's somebody manipulating people's emotions. I, I, and I'm not here. I, I, I resist just always going down the road of the negative and calling out the, the, the error. But there's so much error out there, folks. We need to be aware. His job is to glorify Christ. And if it doesn't look like Christ, throw it out. You have every bit of authority to throw it out. You don't have to be subjected to that. It's part of growing in him. It's part of understanding him. Simon the Magician in Acts chapter 8, I love that story. I just see the boldness of the, of the apostles. He, Simon the Magician was a guy who was in a city of Samaria, and, and he was a sorcerer. He was, and, and it said that it, even in the narrative there, I'm not going to go through it in Acts chapter 8, there's no time, but, but I'll, I'll just paraphrase the story. He was a, a guy, he had been doing sorcery in Samaria for a long time, and by his own claim, he was something great. Be careful when people are into self-promotion. <laughs> it just doesn't look good. And, and, and that's usually a red flag. Oh, hey, look at me. And, and that's what he's doing. And, and it says that, that, that Philip went up to Samaria and he evangelized this city and the people were coming to faith. And so word got back to Jerusalem and, and uh, Peter and John went up there and, and they said, man, you know, these people are just, they're filled with joy and, and they're being baptized. There was a real work of the Holy Spirit in that place. And they said, well, have these guys received the Holy Spirit? And they said, no. And so they laid hands on them. They began to lay hands on the people and they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the spot. And this guy, Simon, got wind of that. And he had believed also in one of their evangelistic deals and, and professed faith and all. Well, he's following the guys around and he says, let me buy some of that power that I could go and lay hands on other people. In other words, so I can mark it up. <laughs> And, and I love, you know, Peter's response immediately was he just rebuked the guy. He said, your money perish with you. You have no idea what you're talking about. And again, paraphrasing. He said, you know what? That is not the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not it. And I submit to you, that's like the first place in the Bible where somebody takes and they want to abuse the ministry of the Holy Spirit and make it for gain. I turn on television and I see one guy after another promoting this weird stuff for gain. And it's like, no, that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. He looks like Jesus, merciful, compassionate, kind, long-suffering, patient. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, all the rest. That's what the ministry of the Holy Spirit looks like. And yes, we're going to talk about giftedness because giftedness is a part of it. And I'm not going to minimize that. So, he comes to us with, as I mentioned, this natural, supernatural ministry. He takes my natural, he mixes his supernatural, he comes and he gives me power. Dunamis is the Greek word. And I, 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 I resist translating that as dynamite because it just sounds messy. You know, the Holy Spirit just came and blew up the sound booth. He anointed Nicholas. You know, it's like uh, pieces of Nicholas all over the floor back there. Yeah, no, that's not it. Sorry, I didn't mean to get gross. <laughs> but dunamis is dynamic. He brings a supernatural dynamic into my life, into your life. And he now gives us the ability to live above the cut. That's why Jesus has been driving home. I'm giving you my joy. I want you to love each other. I want you to live a life that counts. And it's not a life that's tossed 
here and there and everywhere by your emotions. Emotions are great. God created them, but he doesn't want us to lead with them. He wants us to not have happiness that is informed by my circumstances to my emotions, as I mentioned. He wants us to have joy that's informed by the Holy Spirit to my spirit. Far better. Really good stuff, practical stuff, supernatural stuff. The world does not get this stuff. Talk about monovision. There is no understanding of somebody that's in the world, and it's our job. Yes, our job. Oh, well, Pastor, I think that my ministry is to only to people in the church. No, the Great Commission is to everybody. The ministry of reconciliation is given to every disciple of his. And if you're resisting that, I would encourage you, trust him, grow. I love in, in the prophecy, he says, open your mouth, I'll fill it. You can actually trust him to give you what to say. I talked to Chuck and Joanne after they came back from Africa, and, and both of them, we've been Christians for decades, Pastor, and I never really understood how to share the gospel until now. And now I just can't keep my mouth shut about it. They don't say that, but, but I mean, they're bold now. They understand what it is to be able to share Christ and to have it make sense to somebody that hasn't got any understanding. Ministry of the Holy Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit. We're going to spend a few minutes on this. Uh, let me say this first. I'm going to say this properly here. <laughs> There are, as a matter of fact, when I was doing some searching out online, I, I saw several site, websites that said, here is your spiritual gifts test. And I went, no thanks. Um, there is nothing wrong with taking a test that identifies spiritual giftedness. And, and that's, I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing, but I am never going to rely on that because what that could do is hem me in. And I think, well, I'm gifted and equipped for this, and so God would never call me to this. No. He equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. And so if there is a call on your life, he will equip you. And it may be something that he does over years or decades, but he does the equipping. Don't put God in a box by saying, well, I took the spiritual gifts test, and so I'm really not going to clean the church because I'm called to speak. Oh, please. What happened to servanthood? What happened to just putting other people ahead of yourself? What happened to just simply being there and identifying things that need to be done and seeing that not everything has to have the construct of this is your ministry? around it. It's a place of just simply being available for the Holy Spirit to gift and equip as we go. And it's, you know what? It's far more freeing. Because I'll tell you what, when I came to Christ, the absolute last thing that I thought I'd be doing 35 years later is sitting here teaching his word as a pastor. That was the furthest thing from my mind. But as he put a call on my life, and then he began to do the equipping. That's what he does. See, he, he does that. He equips the called. And so we're told in the Bible to make our calling and election sure. As I look at spiritual gifts, there are three primary areas in the New Testament that talk about them. I'm going to go through those. Uh, I'm not going to go in and read the, the passages, but I'm going to uh, pull the gifts out that the passages discuss. And we are definitely not getting to verse 1 today. Um, <laughs> my point is, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you've been a Christian for much time, you know that that's an area where spiritual giftedness is discussed. Let me say up front, we are not cessationists as, as pertains to the gifts. They're as valid today as they were when the Holy Spirit ushered them in in the first century. Uh, I don't believe this. And there are those that say, well, the sign gifts died off with the apostolic age. No, I don't see that. I don't think that's borne out in scripture. I think that there are parameters to the gifts, but the gifts are for today. And, and I remember at a worship service when I was back when I was in Bible college in this little town called Twin Peaks, <laughs> Southern Cal, I mean, a really long time ago. Um, I had told the Lord because, and I was only a year and a half old in Christ when I went to college. I mean, I just kind of had this, God gave me this uh, just thirst. 
And then he fulfilled it with sending me to college. But I remember at a worship service, I told God, I don't want the gift of tongues. Uh-uh, not, not me. Nope, 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 nope. I don't, there's so much abuse. I want to live my life with integrity. I want to, I, you know, I don't want to get up there and even think that I'm putting on a show or doing some weird thing. And I'm worshiping the Lord. And it was just a beautiful, wonderful, spirit-filled time of worship in this auditorium with the whole student body of this Bible college singing their hearts out to the Lord. And this beautiful language came to my spirit. It didn't come to my mind. It kind of bypassed my brain because I was kind of freaking out. It's like, what's that? But it was this beautiful thing. And, the, and, and I began to sing quietly in the spirit. And I started to cry, get emotional thinking about it. It was such a profound experience in my life. Yes, that gift. Those are, there are gifts that are between me and God. And, and I submit to you, brothers and sisters, the gift of tongues. If you don't have it, that is perfectly fine. We are not going to say that everybody has to have that as evidence of the Holy Spirit. That is absolutely not true. That's putting God in a huge box that he doesn't need to be in. But the gifts of the Spirit are valid for today. And, and, and I laugh sometimes. I think, yeah, well, I told God. That got me a long ways. Uh, you know, I, I told him I didn't want that. But he wanted me to have that a, as a prayer language. I've not used it publicly. Even though there is a valid use for tongues publicly, but with interpretation. So I could just I spend the rest of our time on that. But I just want to put that out there right up front. I, we, uh, absolutely are supportive of and embracing of the fullness of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean that we're going to have a, a, a special service and I'm going to be hitting people in the head and pushing them on the ground. <laughs> I see relief on your faces. No. <laughs> what it does mean is that we embrace the fullness of the Spirit. And we're going to resist the abuse. 1 Corinthians 12 we see the word of wisdom. And that's simply when God just gives you wisdom about something. And you know, many gifts he uses and he develops over time, like pastor, teacher, or uh, teach, yeah, especially teaching. I, I, I put people in the children's ministry that I think might have the gift of teaching, unless they have demonstrated that that's where they're at, because it's a great way to develop that gift. But, uh, and I spent 10 years in children's ministry, not so I could graduate to something else, but it was a great time for me to just continue to hone and work on the gift of teaching. But my point is, is that the word of wisdom is something that he just gives you in a moment. It's not something you have to brush up on. That if you're talking to somebody, I mean, there have been times where I'm talking to somebody and the Lord just gives me this, this insight. And, and I've literally said things like, how are things going with your marriage and seeing the person crumble? I wasn't trying to make them crumble, but I, I, it was like the Lord gave me wisdom that that's an area that they're, they need to be ministered to in and all of that. That happens a lot. Be open to that. It's called the word of wisdom. He just gives you an insight and learn to identify it. Learn that it's not always 100%. There are times where I've opened my mouth and gone, oh, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. But the point is, is that it's a, it's a valid gift. Word of knowledge <laughs> I got to confess something to you guys. Last week, I have this little tab tablet that I teach from. And last week, we got to like, it was like 10.05. You guys were in here worshiping already. And I, I am usually finishing just kind of going over my notes one last time so that I have an idea of, you know, actually getting up here and not going, uh. But I couldn't find my tablet anywhere. I'm going all over the church. And I'm thinking, great, I'm on deck, you know, it's like, and so I'm running all over the church, and I was like, I'm starting to get frantic, and my wife sees that look on my face that she knows real well, it's like, ah, you know, and I'm, I'm starting to get pretty upset about it, and, I, and I'm, now I'm going from room to room over and over again, right, because it is not there, and we're standing in my office, and she goes, Lord, just show us where the tablet is, and she reaches over, pulls the bulletin off the top, and my tablet is sitting on my desk, <laughs> That's a word of knowledge. <laughs> she literally prayed and, and reached. It wasn't any hesitation. And I thought, wow, Lord, you just gave her a word. Praise 
God, thank you for my wife. You know, and all that. I actually have something to say now. But word of knowledge, the gift of faith. You know, God gives to each a measure of faith. Don't get down on somebody that doesn't have as much faith as you do. Know that he gives, with the measure of faith that he gives, he gives responsibility and accountability for that. If he gives you faith to move mountains, and by the way, um, excuse me, I, I will cover this again. The area where God gifts you can become the area where you are most critical of other people. And you got to really check your heart. Because if God has called and equipped you to do something or gifted you to occupy something, don't let critical, a critical heart creep in. He will put you on the shelf. I, I've been put on the shelf before. Not fun. Just guard your heart. So he gives a gift, to, uh, uh, the gift of faith. It's, it's, it's where, I, you know, my old spiritual dad was, he had the gift of faith in spades. I mean, the guy just trusted God. And I know that, I don't know if you guys know who George Mueller is. He trusted God for everything. And I mean, he didn't have any money and a check would show up under his door. It's like, you know, it was just, that was his life. I don't have that much faith. I mean, yeah, I, I have faith, but... You know, it's, it's not about who has more and who has less. But I remember talking to a pastor one time and saying, you know, you have a gift of faith. Your measure of faith is such that you can embrace that. Don't, and I, I just encourage him. It was just a private talk. We were at a retreat together. And I said, you know, you, don't, you can't impose that on other people, especially people in your church, because everybody has a different measure. But it's a gift. It's a grace. The word gift is charis. It's the same word for grace. Did you know that? These are graces. They're not yours. Don't take unhealthy ownership of the ministry God's giving you because it could be taken away. It's all about the heart. It's about issues of the heart. It's about the condition of your heart. If you're serving in some capacity and you think it's your privilege to unload on somebody or to be upset with, it just doesn't work. It's about the heart. Yeah, it manifests in deeds and he has something for us to do. But as giftedness goes, be really careful. Gifts of healings. I'm not going to even get through this list, let alone chapter verse one. Um, gifts of healings. <sighs> he still heals. He's sovereign. And very often when I'm praying for someone to be healed, there is also a prayer to, to invoke the sovereignty of God. And it's not because I want to out because he, does, he might not heal. It's because he is sovereign. He says, pray in faith, and I will pray for healing for people. I don't have the specific gift of healing. I remember Chuck Smith, I was at a pastor's conference one time, and, and he said, he, he, you know, here he is, at that time, he's the pastor of the largest church in the United States. It's not anymore, but at that time, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, was, it was a big church. And he was praying all the time. He always prayed, Lord, give me the gift of healing. I would love to have the gift of healing. And, and so he said that they, they wheeled it. And he said, and God never gave it to me. But every now and then he would use me in that way. And they, this guy came up. They, they had a, it was like an afterglow service, you know, a, a believer's service one night. And, and he asked if anybody want prayer for sickness. And they wheeled this guy up in a wheelchair that had a really bad cold, kind of you know, edging on pneumonia. And he was really sick. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, well, why is he at church? But, um, but they wheel this guy up to the front and Chuck lays hands on him and prays for him. And he gets up and walks. <laughs> and, and he was just praying for a cold. But God sovereignly chose to heal him. Yeah, I, I, was, I was talking to Pastor Chuck afterwards. I said, you know, Chuck, did, did it occur to you to, to ask him it, how his cold was after that? It was like, <laughs> no, no, it didn't. But the point is, is, it's a sovereign thing. When God heals, he heals. And he doesn't always heal. We will all uh, have something that we don't recover from. And that's okay. Uh, but does it mean that we don't pray for healing? No. If any among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church because the prayers of a righteous man, not my righteousness, but his, avail much. Prayer of faith. Discerning of spirits. Here's another one that's from uh, 1 Corinthians 12. 
that's where we're at, is looking at these ones in 1 Corinthians 12. Discerning of spirits. Well, what that is, now we're out of time. I'm kidding. Um, What that is, is the gift of discernment. Uh, I love, you know, the the Lord, when he put my wife and I together, I mean, he was kind of like, giving me not just a desire in my heart, but, but giving me someone whose gifts complement, we complement each other. I'm okay with the gift of discernment. She's fabulous. I mean, I rely on her discernment. I really do because she just has the ability to see into things. And, and, and don't get weird around her now. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I love the fact that she has a very strong gift of discernment. She discerns the spirit. She is good. She's gifted in that area. And, and I'm not as much. So the gift of discernment is to be able to discern, to kind of look into and to see into what's going on. And I think a lot of times ladies are more in tune with that than guys, because guys just kind of bumble along. I was talking with Matt or uh, Matt and Brian at the men's breakfast yesterday and saying, I'm a guy. I can have one drawer open at a time. I can, the only way I can open this drawer is if I close this one. Now I can open this one, I got, then I can do this one. And, and women are like, they got 17 drawers open at once. And I don't understand how that works, but it's just, I marvel I can't watch TV and talk to my wife at the same time. I have to turn one of them off, and she doesn't like it when I turn her off. But <laughs> the point is, is that it, we're different, and, and we complement each other with our gifts. And, and folks, we're out of time. Like I said, I'm gonna, I just want to pick this back up next week, and, and we'll pick up where we're leaving off, because this is really, really important stuff. Um, and, uh, and I don't want to be late for the potluck. <laughs> Like I said, I feel ornery today. I don't know why. But uh, we'll come back to this. Uh, a lot of this is stuff, as I mentioned, that we know. But I really think it's beneficial to, to sort of blow the dust off of these things from time to time and, and to just take the time out and look at. It's very important, too, because as Jesus goes through here in John 16, as he continues, as we continue through looking at what he has to say to his guys. The things that he says after, the reason why I put this here is we're going to really get, we're going to drill down on that threefold work of the Spirit probably in two weeks now, but um, when we do, we'll be informed as we look at it. We'll have greater understanding of what it is that he's getting at with his men. That's why I'm putting this in front of, so that we have the instruction on the front end so that we have understanding as we walk through it. So with that, let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh man, this hour flew. And And Lord, yet we know that um, this is your church and this is your time with each of us. And so I pray, Father, for anyone here who, uh, Lord, perhaps is struggling, um, perhaps needs a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit, who who simply needs your touch. I I pray, Father, for that. Um, I pray, Lord, that as we yield to the working of your Spirit, that our lives would be enriched. We ask, Father, as a body, that you would continue to guide us as a church by the power, by the working, and the provision of your Holy Spirit. We yield to you now, Lord. We pray that you would bless our fellowship in the time coming up, that you would work in our hearts. We praise you for this time and ask that you would work it for your glory. Bring to our remembrance the things we've looked at it. We commit it unto you and, and, and to your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.